0: Welcome to episode 142 of the Speak Up podcast. Today we have a special guest, Ed Everts, who is an executive coach and a team coach and author of a couple books. But before we get into talking to Ed, I just want to give a big shout out to our sponsor, Mixonian Institute, which was founded in 2009 to rid the corporate world of redundant, boring communication. And we're also into culture building. So if you want a good culture building workshop at your place of work, contact me, Laura Camacho. I am the CEO and founder of Mixonian Institute. Thank you. All right, so we are about to kick off this great conversation with Ed Everts. He is the founder of Excellius Leadership Development. And he's author of two books. His first book was called Raise Your Visibility and Value. And those of you who have coached with me out there know that we always talk a lot about that, especially the getting the visibility and getting credit for the value that you're already adding. And his latest book is called Drive Your Career. And Ed has a background in HR and coaching. So welcome to the show, Ed. And please tell us about your path to Where you are today. I know you're up there in the Boston area, aren't you?
1: We are, Laura. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And I am a little bit north of Boston, so it's chilly up here today in mid-December. My career really began as a business professional about 25 years ago after graduating college. I went to work in retailing, and I began on the merchandising end, but very quickly recognized that my skill set better fit The human resource arena and transitioned over to a human resource role at my first employer and then spent the following 15 years or so in various human resource roles in retailing, mostly in the New England marketplace. And then in 1998, I left retailing because the hours were getting longer and Life was getting more complex, and the two weren't mixing beautifully. And I transitioned to a business-to-business services company called Iron Mountain, and I played in a number of leadership HR roles there. And then I left Iron Mountain in 2008 and opened my independent practice, which is Excellius Leadership Development. And so as of about two years ago, I have now been an independent contributor longer than any of my employment experiences, Stone for me.
0: Oh, congratulations. Well, that sounds very awesome. It's interesting. You, you grew up in retail, which has just gone through so many iterations and interesting changes. And yet your most of your clients, from what I understand, are in the pharmaceutical business, right?
1: Well, the pharmaceutical industry is very pro-coach. So they love helping people. They love focusing on culture and development. Not so much in retailing. Retailing is a very low margin industry and they just don't have a lot of dollars to provide to help leadership development grow. So, you know, that's just my own personal experience, but uh, they're much more budget conscious and it's much harder to get a coach and that type of assistance when you work in the retail industry.
0: Yes, that's very true. And and, uh, different, yeah, different industries have more bandwidth or budget for coaching. And so that's where we get to do our good work. So, Ed, I know that, well, you and I both know that the the relationship for anybody in a company, the most important relationship is that relationship with their boss, right? And, you know, and you're in a course of a career, you're going to have a excellent boss here and there some pretty good ones, some mediocre ones, and every once in a while you'll get a bad boss. What is your advice for somebody who wants to improve their relationship? And what is the payoff for doing that?
1: This is really the first chapter of my book, Drive Your Career. And while I didn't put the habits that I listed in the book in order, you know, I did want that one first because I wanted to remind people. And every once in a while, you just need a nice, subtle, reminder of some basics that you need to be doing in the workplace, because there is so much going on. It's easy to forget some of the basics. And all of us need to ensure that we own ourselves, ensuring that we have a positive relationship with our boss. It is a relationship. So of course, there's more than one person involved, but you own ensuring that you know where your relationship is with your boss, and then you're doing positive things in order to improve it. So to our listeners, You know, I would ask them on a scale of one to six to think about where is my relationship with my boss. Do we hate each other, which is a one, or can we finish each other's sentences and love each other, which is a six? And if you're a four or lower, you probably should be doing some things in order to improve that relationship. So initially, Laura, it was a reminder of the importance of ensuring you have a positive relationship with your boss. Your boss is the person who's a gatekeeper to activities. Uh, if you're raising your hand for another role in the organization, the likelihood is very high that they're going to go to your boss and say, hey, tell me about Ed. You know, what kind of worker is he? How does he handle stress? Things of that nature. And you want to ensure that your boss has favorable things about you. I don't mean create a false relationship with your boss. I don't mean being best friends either. But you need to ensure that you have you know, a positive relationship with your boss in order to ensure that they say You know, good things about you if somebody asks.
0: Right. And I and I'm a proponent that you feed them those things to tell to to go upstream, you know, your accomplishments, because we all know that because of negativity bias, our accomplishments, that's yesterday's news. We're off to the next problem. And and having that good relationship with your boss is just so important. I I do find that in some companies, the bosses are not, they're available all all day long for questions and consultations, but they're not having regular one-on-ones with their uh, team members. I say they don't have time. What would you say to someone who feels that they don't have time to have one-on-one, you know, full-on meetings with people on their team?
1: Well, in honor of uh, my comment earlier, you, as the under, uh, you know, the employee, the person under your boss, needs to ensure that you're finding time, at least on a monthly basis, even if it's over breakfast or even if it's 20 minutes, to do a regular check-in to ensure they know how you're doing. You know, what you're describing is very common across organizations, which is people not believing they have time in order to do work. And you know, this is what I call the superhero syndrome, which you know, I think everything that you're doing as, uh, as your boss, I think everything that you're doing is great. So I don't need to check in with you. I don't need to worry about what you're doing. I'm not interested because I think everything you're doing is great, yet you're missing really my accomplishments. You're missing helping me grow in areas that are important to me. There's so many areas that we don't talk about. So I call them career development conversations where we don't talk about goals. We don't talk about clients. We don't talk about initiatives. We talk about me, how I'm doing, what I'm really enjoying in the work that I'm doing, what I want to do differently in years to come, right? You need to work for a boss who's interested in having that type of conversation. This is not a solution for everyone. There are people who can't have these type of conversations with their boss, and they try and they try. And the mm-hmm. boss agrees, and then reschedules at the last right. minute. And,
0: true, you know, true.
1: Just never does it. And those people need to make a decision: is this a relationship that's helping? And if it's not, then I probably need to find another opportunity in my company initially or elsewhere, where I can find a person who's going to help me. We can't make progress on our own. You know, it's a fallacy if you think that you can grow and develop without the help of a boss, without the help of a mentor. So you have to find people. Who are going to help you as much as you want to help yourself?
0: Oh, that's so true. About it's not a, it's not a solo project. There's really a lot of, and the higher up you go, the more you, you're. It's so important to have those strategic relationships for people to support your continued uh, upward movement in the company. And and how does someone say at a director level, senior director, about to go to vice president, and they've been told? to, that they need to, you know, build up these strategic partnerships within the company. You know, where where do you start with that?
1: Well, there's a couple of places that people can start. If I'm getting promoted to a new role, reaching out to peers, new peers, potentially, Mm -hmm. and colleagues and saying, look, I want to be able to figure out how I can help you. Uh, You know, this isn't about me behind the scenes. This is about us and you. You know, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you're doing in the organization, what your team does. I want to see how I can help you be more successful. These are not conversations that are happening a lot in organizations around the globe, and they should be, right? Because we're all there to kind of move in the same direction. And in order to move in the same direction, we need to know more about what each of us are thinking about and how we're working in order to make great progress. So you need to, again, own taking the next step. You know, one of the fallacies that we have, Laura, is I think because now I'm a VP or an EVP or an SVP that everybody comes to me. Right, right. And In reality, I need to go to others as well in order to build and foster great relationships. And just because nobody else is doing it doesn't make it wrong. Be a role model. Be somebody who does things a little bit differently. And if you are a director moving into a senior director role or to a vice presidency, start having conversations with people, peers, bosses, direct reports about how you operate, what you can do for them in order to help them be successful. The list is endless of the stuff that you could talk about. Really, in order to build a good, positive relationship with them so that you help each other when that help is needed.
0: That's great. I love that. It's just really just deciding to do it and just reaching out to people and putting time on their calendar. And uh, a lot of times I'm actually helping them craft the email, <laughs> to send it out because I work a lot with uh introvert highly conscientious high performers often introvert on the introvert side of the spectrum, but it's, yeah. Exactly. And I, and I and people like to help, you know, everybody we're all super busy, but it's so, it's so true that people do like to help, and they do like that you reach out to them before you need them. Don't you think that's uh, definitely so important that it's not only when you need somebody that you, that you reach out. So definitely. So that's,
1: definitely. And I just want to add to something yeah. you just said. Uh, you know, the first step isn't the meeting. The first step is scheduling the meeting. And I say to people all the time, don't worry about what you're going to say, or how you're going to say it. That's next. The first thing you need to do is find a half hour on their calendar. And even even if it's in January or February, at least it's in their calendar, right? I mean, yes, it can get rescheduled or things of that nature. But, you know, it's important first to get it uh, scheduled. And then we'll move to how you want to enter the conversation, how you want to position yourself in the conversation. And these are multiple conversations. This isn't just a one time, hey, I came in a year ago, and we had a conversation. You know, This is two or three times a year that you right. find a half hour to talk to people about you. You have to make it happen because there is nobody else working on your behalf other than you. And if you're not doing it, nobody is.
0: Right, exactly. That's a big uh, realization moving up from when you when you first start you know generally speaking your boss is more involved if you're a you know recent college or graduate school graduate but once you make it to director you're on your own as far as I mean, yeah. as far as taking ownership you need other people to help you but you have to be the one to ask for that help and and build those relationships. So people want to help you, which generally speaking, people do want to help. They're just extremely busy. So Ed, um, as, as I mentioned before our conversation that we're recording, that you and I seem to work with different populations in corporate America, because I'm working more with highly conscientious, highly people that are so self-aware that it creates self-doubt. And yet I, and and reading your work, you work a lot to help people with self-awareness. I mean, to have self-awareness, not to have, not because they have too much, but because they have too little. So tell tell us about how that work started and how is it that people can be successful in a company without self-awareness?
1: Well, I would tell you that it started organically. I didn't start my practice saying, hey, I'm going to go out and look for people who have low self-awareness and only work for them. I was working with clients. And over time, it just became apparent that the vast majority of them, certainly not all of them, but all of them to a certain degree, but the vast majority of them had, you know, marginal to low self-awareness. And when I say that, Self-awareness is understanding how other people experience you. not how you experience you, you're an expert yeah, yeah. in you. but how do other people experience me? Is what I do that I think is great as great as you know do I do they think it's as great as I think it is great? Uh, is what I'm doing not great? I mean I don't know unless I go out and ask. and unfortunately, most organizations don't provide these platforms, many do, but not all, where I can build my self-awareness through a 360 or something where I can collect feedback from others. So I can learn about how other people experience me in the workplace. And I will tell you, most people uh, will hear that you know 50% of the people experience them positively and 50%, it's not as positive, right? And it's probably a mix for everyone. There are things that you do, I think, that are great. And there are things that you do that I think you could do differently in order to be more effective. So for me, Laura, when I work with clients, ensuring that we are taking steps to build their self-awareness on how others experience them is super important. Now, the next step is doing something about it. And, you know, I'm not a marionette, you know, a puppeteer. I can't make you do anything with the information that we collect. You have to be self-motivated to say, okay, so I've now collected data from people that I've read. You've told me that they are not truths, that these are perceptions that people have of my experience. I now want to do something about it. And I'm going to identify two or three areas that I want to make visible progress To demonstrate that I was listening and that I can make great improvement. Every once in a while, although very rarely for me, and it varies from coach to coach, I have somebody who's not interested in doing anything differently, that they think all the data they collected is just garbage and they're not interested in doing anything about it and they just want to move on. Those are not the type of people that I can work with because that's not what I do for a living. But most people do want to take steps in order to improve the experience that others are having with them.
0: That's interesting, but which is not the same as, you know, radically becoming this people pleaser, right?
1: Correct. Correct. Right. This is not about saying, okay, some people don't think I do this well, so now I have to figure out how to do it. So they think it's done well, as, you know, the famous Abraham Lincoln once said, you know, you can't. You can fool all the people all the time. Some of the people, some of the time, but not, you know, whatever the phrase was, I can't remember it at the moment. You can't please everybody all
0: the time. You can't
1: please everyone, right? So you, you, this is not about pleasing everyone. It's about recognizing how, what you do has an impact and you either continue to commit to it, recognizing everyone won't be pleased, but if you try to please everyone, you will be in as much trouble as you were when you were operating in your prior uh, strategy. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, it's 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 not easy. Um, but then we, you know, easy is not rewarding. We, I think, all of us, both our clients and and ourselves, we even though we may complain about it, we really like accomplishing hard things, and it, it does take right. work to manage those perceptions and sell your value and and, and keep. Raising the value that you bring to the table, and part of the value is in the perception, right? Because that perception travels with you, and of course, you can't control the whole thing. But if your results and your, you know, being easy to work with is certainly uh, a nice perception to have. Not maybe not maybe it's not always warranted or even appropriate, but it it is a a positive perception.
1: And that you know that perception takes effort, right? So. I can't just be somebody who is easy to work with. I would love that as a cornerstone of my reputation that anytime we connected with Ed Everts, who's really easy to work with, et cetera. But that takes effort, right? That takes certain behaviors and certain activities that I do purposefully because I want to be somebody who is seen as easy to work with. And so there's certain things that I do on a regular basis in order to create that perception with others because I think that's a valuable aspect of a relationship.
0: So what are those things that you do?
1: Well, I set up a rule that I get back to anybody who reaches out to me within 24 hours. That does not happen in many corporations around the globe. Mm-hmm. Some people create the impression that they're a black hole. that I sent you a note <laughs> a day ago, a week ago, two weeks ago, and you never got back to me. <laughs> and you know, in my mind, I'm like, I couldn't find 10 seconds to say, mm-hmm. hey, Laura, I'm really busy. I'll get back to you on Friday. I I just don't get back to people. Now I know some people get hundreds of emails a day. I'm not judging them, but you need to, if it's important to you to be seen as someone who's easy to work with, there are things that you need to do in order to demonstrate that. So getting back to people, even if it's not with an answer, but with a status is Mm -hmm. super important. So anybody who reaches out to me and even sometimes vendors who I have not solicited, who are soliciting me, you know, I get back to just to say, not interested. Thank you very much, whatever. But you know I don't want to have the perception that I am a black hole, and so uh it takes effort in order to do that
0: that's so true it's b- b- very true that's interesting the black hole. I do also try to get back within twenty four hours, but I think sometimes it takes Not longer, easy. unsolicited vendors I don't ever answer them now yeah.
1: that's okay have... but it's it's hard to do right <laughs> even within twenty four hours you're busy and sometimes it's yeah. hard to get back to people. But it's only going to be something you do if the reason you're getting back to them is important to you.
0: Right, exactly. Exactly. So that's so interesting. In I was reading, uh, again, reading some of the your writing, and I saw you use this phrase about putting on the brakes. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, this is a leadership style behavior that most leaders need to think a little bit more about, especially as they're kicking off a project or an initiative. And too often what happens is we have a meeting to kick off a project, we kick it off, and then we go. And then let's say we tell the client we're going to be done by the end of Q1 of 2022. And as we're moving forward, because people weren't clear on something or there wasn't understanding about the level of technology we had or there's a surprise event that happens in the world that causes havoc. We are late. We don't deliver it on time. And we go back to the client and say, hey, we hoped to have been done by the end of March, but due to this reason and that reason, we're unable to do it. And you know, I believe that uh, leaders who uh, kick off a project, but then say, okay, before we move forward, I want everyone to think about everything we just talked about today. And I call it putting on the brakes or pausing. And next week, I wanna come back and I wanna hear from all of you. What concerns do you have? Are these statistics reasonable? Are these timelines reasonable? Uh, you know, what strain is it gonna put on your group? What, let's make sure that we are ready to go because I don't want you to move forward just because I think we should. I want us to move forward because you all know that we should. And so it's really pausing. And what happens is we delay initially or we pause initially we still say we're going to be done by March of 2022, but our likelihood of hitting it's greater because we've addressed a lot of the issues and concerns up front before they became issues and problems.
0: I like that kind of a recalibration that you're just inserting in the in the project. And it also stops a lot of the swirl that's going around of why and blaming people, and really focus on solving the problems. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, it's the
1: water cooler talk that happens after a meeting where the boss says, OK, it looks like we're ready to go. Let's go. And right. in my mind, I'm saying, I don't think we're ready to go, but I don't have the courage to say anything because my boss just said, let's go. And then we all go to the water cooler and say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we're doing this. We're not ready. And next thing you know, two months later, we're delayed because of something I could have addressed earlier. So it's not putting on the brakes in the sense that you're slowing down such that competition can pass you by. It's really adding the, the time you would have spent later solving pro, mm-hmm. uh, problems earlier so that mm-hmm. you can address them and reduce the likelihood of the problem happening later.
0: Right, like an early intervention.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at it.
0: So are you seeing uh, with remote work, are you seeing that is... Better for leadership or depends on the leader? Like, how are you? What, what are the trends that you're seeing in, in your clients that related to working remotely?
1: Uh, in general, or as it relates to pausing?
0: In general, or as either one?
1: Yeah, I have uh, four companies that I do what I consider to be business consulting, and this is helping them pivot wherever they are. One of them is adding geography, another is adding a new product and service. Uh, you know, many of the behaviors and many of the activities that they are doing are very consistent. So instead of meeting in person, of course, we're meeting virtually. Most of the effort is around meeting management, and this is true when you meet in person. And this is why most meetings don't go well is because somebody's not managing the meeting. And if you don't manage the virtual session, it you likewise will have issues. So uh, people not putting on their camera, uh, you know, people not being on time, right? These are all behaviors that we need to pre-manage and recognize so that we don't have a session where we have 10 people and five of them don't have their camera on, you know two of them are not there yet, you know things of that nature. So uh, I think there are a lot of differences in respect to managing and supervising others virtually. I believe the meeting management piece is very consistent. It's really more if you are working from home, how productive are you, what hours are you working? You know, all the things that were easier to do when people had to come to work mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. needed to be in the building by nine and stayed right. till five and now they're at home. So, right. you know, are they there? Are they working? Are they on in a two hour lunch break? You know, the right. of, you know, the pessimists of the world thinks it's havoc <laughs> right. and the right. optimists believe, hey, as long as you get your work done, I'm not going to come in and tell you what time to start or what time to end or how long to take for lunch but don't find yourself in a situation where you're not getting your work done.
0: Oh, absolutely. I love this topic of meeting management because I don't it's still it's unfathomable to me how <laughs> as expensive as meetings are that not everybody it, it handles their meetings well. So, I'm going to say imagine we have this scenario that I'm your boss And I'm having these meetings with you and other people on the team, and I am not managing them well. I'm not making people put on their videos. My agenda is very squishy. What can you do about
1: that? So there's a couple of things that need to be in place in order for you to have a candid conversation with your boss. And remember, having a candid conversation with your boss is intended to help. It's not meant to judge. It's not meant to belittle. But you want to help your boss have a more effective meeting. And so the first thing that has to be in place is a relationship, which is going back to our conversations earlier about ensuring that I have a relationship with my boss. That if I say, hey, Laura, I wanted to give you some feedback on the meeting that we had today, are you open to hearing it? It's not meant like, oh, why? What do you want to say? I, you, you haven't talked oh, to there me in
0: <laughs> Right?
1: You're suddenly walking into my office, right? It, it needs to be another conversation on another day. So, you know, having an this is why it's so important that you have a positive relationship with your boss, because not only do you want to get recognized and get projects and be spoken about well, but you also want to ensure that you can give your boss feedback and share with your boss things they could be doing differently to be more effective. And of course, your boss needs to be interested and open to hearing it. They may or may not agree, but they need to be open and interested in hearing it. And so that's so important. The second thing that needs to exist is you always have to ask for permission. And this is something people miss because I think what I have to say is real. And so I'm just going to tell you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I might not be in the mood to hear it. I might not have time to hear it. I might not have a relationship such with you that I want to hear it from you, whatever it might be. So I need to always say, Hey, Laura, I'd love to give you some feedback on the meeting we had this morning. Are you open to hearing it? And if you say, Absolutely, I'd love to hear it, I'm now, the door is now open, right? You opened the door to say, Tell me what it is you'd like to say. And then you start with, here are some of the things that I think went really well. And here are some things I think you should think about doing differently in order to ensure that we are all actively participating well. And then you go down your list of everyone's camera should be on. Everyone should be at the meeting five minutes in advance because a nine o'clock meeting needs to start at nine, not at 10 after nine because we're still waiting for people to join or people who have technology issues. You know, we need to ensure uh, that that happens. Anytime that I'm on a virtual call, especially with a new client or a system I haven't used for a while, I'm always on 10 minutes earlier because I wanted to make sure I could get on. And sometimes I've had trouble getting on. The phone number doesn't work or technology doesn't want to play, et cetera. So fortunately, I started 10 minutes earlier and that allowed me some squishy time to you know figure it all out. Right. If, I it, if I If I joined at 8.59, it would have been a problem.
0: Right. You're just much more relaxed. And I think if everybody would relax a little bit more, (laughs) we would all be better off.
1: It would be a great world if we all relaxed. Yes.
0: So you're saying that any kind of constructive feedback in any direction, ask permission first, like even if I'm the big boss and I'm going to give it, you know, I, I want to correct something that you said, I would ask permission
1: yeah, you and no, and yes, and people might say, "Well, why do I need to ask permission if I want to tell you something positive?" And the re- the reason is that you want to be seen consistently. If you only ask for permission if it's critical, then anytime you ask for permission, I'm going to know that what you're about to say is critical feedback or constructive feedback. So I want uh, you did a fantastic job today. I might walk in and say, "Hey, Laura, I'd love to give you some feedback in the meeting today. Are you open to hearing it?" Yes. I just wanted to tell you, I thought you did a fantastic job at the meeting today. Here are three things that you did that I thought were stupendous. And the reason for that is it encourages you to do it again. I mean, I might not even know it was great. So hearing that it was great creates this belief. Okay, so next time I host a meeting, I'm going to remember what Ed talked about and ensure that those three things happen. You always want to ask for permission because the person may not be in the place you want them to be, even if it's good news right? at the moment. And they might say, you know what, Ed, I'd love to hear what you have to say, but I'm, I'm in under crunch time. I've got a, another meeting in two minutes or I just got a call from the president and she wants to hear something, you know, whatever it might be.
0: Right? We'll talk- no, that's really... Yeah,
1: can we talk a little bit later? You'd say, absolutely, let's do that.
0: I think this is great. This is not something that I had heard before. And bravo, that's... Uh, Laura learns a new. Communication <laughs> today. So How I could you possibly
1: that. learn something? New? I
0: know. I, I, I really did. I thought I knew it all, but I did. Now I do. Though. Now I do everybody. So I now know everything about communication as permission. It's so true though, about the timing Because a lot of times people want to talk to you about whatever. And you're just like, I need to get something done or it's just not a good moment. And asking permission is a great way of setting that up and and encouraging people to, to I, th- I, I think so much of communication is oh, is doesn't land because people don't either ask permission or, or set it up for success. Like in a meeting, say, I want to talk about X and X is important because or X is relevant because I think giving it a little, I call it sell it before you tell it. And this asking permission to give feedback is a variation of that same idea because everybody's so distracted and addled and not paying attention that it's good to get people's attention first. And asking permission is a great way to do that. So what other communication tips do you have up your sleeve?
1: Well, I just want to mention that asking for permission is also a great way to practice empathy. Uh, uh, Certainly, I can imagine many of the clients that you work with and certainly many of the clients that I have want to demonstrate empathy to a greater degree. You know, I believe empathy is a strategic behavior on the part of a leader. It is not a soft skill or a weak skill, but a strategic behavior to build relationships and build employee engagement. So when I ask you for permission, I'm double checking to make sure I am where you are Mm -hmm not just where I am. If I just come in and say, hey, I want to talk about the meeting earlier, here it comes. Mm -hmm, I'm mm -hmm. not caring at all where you are right now. And you may not be in the right place to do it. So for those people who want to practice empathy, asking for permission and making sure that the person who's listening is in the right place is a a great way to do that.
0: Yes, it is. that that is showing not just that you understand that it might not be a good time from an emotional point of view but but also um the, the word is escaping me um i don't know i don't know what i was going to say something extremely profound though but anyway sure it'll,
1: it'll, it'll, it'll pop up in you your
0: as soon as this is over but i i love that that the empathetic approach to giving feedback is oh respect that's what i was going to say that, I mean, what better way to show respect? And, and my definition of a healthy culture is one where everybody feels heard, understood, and valued. Doesn't mean you have to agree. But of course, if I'm asking permission, then I absolutely am demonstrating that I value your time and your frame of mind. So very cool. I like that. What else? What that's another communication tip you have for us?
1: Well, uh, two others just quickly. One is multiple versions. And so if you speak in front of a group, it's good to send them a note afterwards recapping your key points that you made or you know, putting it into a newsletter, you know, whatever the versions are. But you know, professional marketers would tell you that it takes people five to seven times hearing or seeing something before they get it, it what it is that you're trying to say. And so just don't think because you've said it that everyone got it. Uh, sometimes they don't, and we've had that happen where people leave the meeting and say, "You know, I can't believe he said X." He did. I didn't hear that, right? So, <laughs> you know,
0: and people thank me for th- for saying certain things, and I'm like, I never. I'm quite sure I never said that, but I don't. People,
1: <laughs> yeah, people hear what they want to hear, and some of them aren't paying attention. They may be, you know, their head may be down, looking at their cell phone, et etc. So, you know, if you uh, say, you know, if you have a speech or talk. Or even if you do send it in writing, sending it a couple more times just as a, a fresh reminder is super important. Because if you believe just because you've said it once that everyone's got it, Oops. they don't.
0: No, 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 no. Unless you're giving out free money. That's the exception. <laughs> if you're giving out $100 bills, they'll they'll catch it the first time. Otherwise... People, love,
1: people love free stuff, free food, free gifts. They love it all.
0: Right. Okay. Well, you said they are going to give me two. So... Multiple versions, and what was the other one?
1: So the other one is making sure that you think about, and you know what, I just fell out of my head, so I'll come back to it. Well, that's okay
0: because I want to know. I know we're getting to the end of our time, but what drove you to write? Drive your career because you write about visibility and value. Because I'm sure that comes from your work with the teams and the executives. Because you know you cannot have success in a large organization if people do not know who you are. So I I take it that Drive Your Career, it was kind of after you learned more and saw the implementation of the visibility and the value piece, uh, you wrote Drive Your Career. Tell me about that.
1: Sure. Raise Your Visibility and Value is, as you described, was really a reflection of my 25 years in organizations. And when I left that organization, my last organization and transitioned to my own independent practice, recognized the value that visibility had in organizations. And visibility is, you know, one of the activities under visibility is networking. Uh We tend to stop at networking or think networking is the ultimate goal. I believe the ultimate goal is visibility in your organization and industry. So regardless of what your industry is, there are groups and meetings and affiliations that you should be aware of. So that you can work with them in order to be as visible as possible, and then of course, if you're going to be visible, uh, the underlying currency in most organizations these days is value. And you know, don't tell me what you did; tell me how you had a, a difference. Tell me what you did differently there, or how the organization valued you because of what you did there. And then after my 14 years as an independent leadership coach, I identified a group of stories that I. Told on a repeated basis or came up naturally in my conversations with clients on a repeated, recurring basis. And I had one of those shower moments where I said, Hey, you know what? I should pay attention to those stories because they come up again and again and again. And I'm not bringing them up purposefully, they just come up because of what the client is experiencing. And that's where the nine uh, activities or behaviors came under Drive Your Career. And for me, Drive Your Career is about you owning your next step and your next direction and owning where you want to go and what you want to do. It's not about corporate training. It's not about other people riding in and helping you out. It's about you owning your next step and recognizing things that you need to be doing in order to be effective so that you can continue to grow and develop in your career.
0: That's right. As I tell people of your boss's top 20 priorities, our, our boss or anybody else in that organization, best case you're number 21 and that's on a good day very nice i
1: think that's that's an excellent example
0: (laughs) so why don't we close with why don't you tell us a story then either from your book or a story that you uh like to because people love to learn through stories and uh, like a communication story or an ownership story what's one of your favorite stories that you tell people
1: well, I do consider myself a classic case of transition from corporate to coaching. Uh-huh. I was a corporate employee for 25 years. When I left Iron Mountain, it was due to a layoff. And so I wasn't anticipating being unemployed. No
0: oh, surprise. Yes, surprise.
1: 2008 was not a great year.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> right? I was there. I was, I was around. I remember that very well. So I
1: uh, instantly found myself in transition and I had to decide what I wanted to do next. And I thought because of my age and the number of years that I had put in as a corp- corporate employee, that this might be a good time to look at starting an independent practice, doing uh, training, coaching, facilitation, et cetera. So, you know, for me, Laura, It was that recognition that I needed to do something differently. I could have gone back in and found another job and I could have continued my corporate work, but it felt redundant. I felt like, you know, anything I could have done, I had tried to do or did at Iron Mountain and anywhere else would be the same things again. And I wanted to, I wanted to give back. I felt I had learned a lot and observed a lot. And there were a lot of people who haven't or didn't have the work experiences that I had and so i wanted to give that back to others and so that was really the catalyst for tr- transitioning from corporate to mm-hmm. consulting or my own independent practice
0: oh very cool well I, yeah it's so rewarding because when you've had the the experience and the insight that you can shorten people's paths to that next promotion and and also eliminate some sources of frustration by letting them see a different perspective on the thing. So anyway, this has been so interesting, Ed, I really appreciate your sharing your time with me and and our amazing audience out there. People um, are listening to us who are always looking to up their game and be better leaders and better communicators and really appreciate your being a guest on our speak up podcast. And I'm going to close it out for today. This is our last podcast being recorded in 2021. You will be listening to this in 2022. And I will see everyone on the next episode. Goodbye.